My name is Aidan Vokolo and here you will find business strategies, tips and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you are having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Amanda Bigham. We talk about the secondary benefits of meditation, the importance of finding oneself, and how to move away from the scarcity mindset. Amanda, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. I'm curious, can you tell me how you came to be a a lifestyle transformation coach? A bit of your backstory about how you can be where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. I think probably with many people in my field of work, oftentimes it comes from our own personal journey, our own personal desire to be more, achieve more, or really just realizing that where we are currently is not where we have the potential of being. And so I've kind of always known that. I've always had a little bit of a different path, if you will. And it really probably started back when I was 19. I went out to parties and was out hanging out with all my friends and drinking and partying and came back to my house and just felt really alone and felt really confused at that. You know, how did I just go hang out with all of my friends and party and have a great time? But yeah, in that experience, basically, I decided that I wanted to start to really begin to learn my own internal workings. Like what is it that makes me me? What is it that I really want to be all about? And so long story short, through lots of yoga and lots of mindfulness, many trips to India, many books, many meditations, you know, yoga teacher trainings, health coaching, all of this stuff, I really began to realize that what people are missing is this connection to self. And so at the end of the day, I've really just kind of compiled all of the things that have helped me come into my own sense of self. And now this is what I help people with is finding their own connection to self. Yeah. And I mean, it's so important if you don't have that deeper connection to who you are, you end up sort of getting molded by whatever society tells you to be. And it's very, very easy to conform. So it's so important to understand yourself and yourself better. You sort of did it through yoga and meditation. How did you know where to start with those two practices? That's a great question. And I completely agree with you. You know, the conforming, it's what we're taught ever since we were kids, you know, like, who do you want to be when you grow up, Johnny? That's the question that we're asked instead of what are you inspired by or what excites you? And luckily for me, I, when I was about 15, I was asked by one of my best friends if I would go to a yoga class with him. And I started doing yoga. Then my brother, who is about eight years older than me, he wanted to do yoga with me as well. I would go visit him and we would do yoga on DVDs from Rodney Yee. And then he actually also introduced me into meditation. So when I was 17, I started getting into meditation with my older brother. And, you know, we were still kids. Like, so we would smoke weed and then meditate or, you know, read the books or whatever. But it was still kind of the beginning of this opening up and that was really kind of where it all started. And then from there, I just continued to realize that I felt really good when I did these practices. And one thing led me to the next. And that's kind of what's put me on the path of where I am today. Are there any meditation practices that you find really beneficial for yourself? 
Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. So as I change, they've changed too around, you know, over the years. I think a lot of people have a very strong misconception oftentimes of what meditation is. People think that you need to sit on a cushion and try not to think about anything and just listen to your breath. And while yes, that's one form of meditation, there is so many different ways that we can meditate. For instance, you know, Vipassana is really strict and very um, more masculine style, 10 day silence, you know, no reading, no writing. That's really intense, but it's really transformational. And that's one way to get into it. But then there's another style, um, for instance, Osho. Osho is really all about dynamic meditation. He's really about bringing your emotions out of you, which is all about movement and dance and gibberish and crying and laughing. And that's really powerful as well. And so, you know, for me personally, I just, really have at this point learned to tune in with what I need. Sometimes I do just need to sit and be still and focus on breathing and and different exercises in that way. And other times I need to move my body and really begin to reconnect to my physical being in a way that's focused and concentrated. So it just kind of depends on on where I'm at and what I have available and, and what I need. Yeah. I didn't realize there were so many types of meditation. For me, I only started probably maybe six months ago. And for me personally, I think at the moment, all it is at this stage is maybe 10 to 15 minutes in the morning, sitting outside on the balcony, closing my eyes and, you know, either listening to my breath or just listening to noises outside me and really just tuning into the environment. And for me, I found it's, um, it's helped with focus outside of that practice. So, you know, during the day, I find it's easier to focus. I'm curious to know, well, what benefits you found from doing meditation outside of the practice itself? Yeah, great question. I mean, focus, as you said, is absolutely one of them. You know, what I've noticed that people struggle with most is clarity. People who come to me for coaching, it's like, I don't know what I want. I don't know where I'm going. I don't, again, this lack of sense of self and connection to who they are beyond the stories we've been told or the stories we even tell ourselves. And clarity, you know, knowing what you want, knowing how you feel, knowing what you desire in life, all of these things are necessary in order for us to continue to move forward to where it is that deep down we truly want to go. But if you're not clear on what kind of relationship you want or what kind of a job you want or how you want to live your life or what matters to you, you're never going to be able to actually pull that in. And so I find a lot of people who are struggling with finding their soul's purpose, it's because they're not clear. And the reason why they're not clear is because they're not connected to themselves because they don't give themselves the time and the space. So not only has meditation been you know, proven to help reduce stress and to reduce anxiety, it also helps with a lot of inflammation and even diseases. My background is in nutrition. And also it really helps to gain clarity. You know, it helps to create this sense of well-being that comes from within instead of the external. For those that come to you and they've got no idea of, you know, who they are, who they want to be, no idea of their self, where do you start? You know, when, when they come to you, go, you know, I don't know, I don't know who I am, I don't know what I stand for, but I know I, I'm destined for something more. It's a great question. Um, most people who come to me uh, generally are like super fire, super passionate. Like I know I'm destined for more and I'm either burnt out or I'm, you know, I'm, I just know that there's something inside me that wants to be uncovered. And most of the people have generally done some sort of self-work in some way, shape or form. They've been on this path for a little bit. But for those people who are are really just like, whoa, there's something inside me that's telling me that something's not right. 
and I'm going to do whatever it takes in order to figure it out. One of the first things I say, you know, is when was the last time you spent time with yourself, right? When was the last time that you actually had nothing to do, didn't have a phone in your hand and, and just spent time with yourself in nature? And oftentimes people won't have an answer. They won't even know. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was two years ago. So the first thing is just go sit outside by yourself in nature and just begin to watch the story that you're telling yourself. Because whether we're aware of it or not, we're all telling ourselves a story. There's a narrator happening consistently in your head. And oftentimes it's happening and it's creating the story and you're not even aware of it. So in order to really begin to develop self-awareness, just begin to create space so that you can connect to you and be the witness to the story that you're telling yourself. And then generally from there, I ask people about their nutrition. Like, what do you eat on an average basis? Because I have found and truly do believe that food is the fuel for our consciousness. It's what we put into our body that literally turns into all of our cells from inside our organs to our brain cells to you name it, bones, muscles, tissues, whatever. And if you're not fueling your body in the most effective way or the most optimal way for your own bio-individuality, which is going to be different than anyone else, then you're automatically preventing your ability to thrive. So, you know, spend time in nature and then let's work on a nutrition plan for you so that you can begin to understand how it's actually possible to feel when you wake up in the morning. Some really, really sage advice there. I remember it was probably maybe four or five years ago, I was listening to a podcast and there's one phrase that that sort of sticks out and sort of replays in my head. And the only thing stopping you is the bullshit story you keep telling yourself as to why you can't have what you want when along those general lines. It's it's so true that 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 internal dialogue, you know, we are capable of so much more than we think we are. We tell ourselves that we are. As humans, we're quite remarkable at adapting to the environment. You know, we get used to the environment, you know, put yourselves in. For anyone who's, you know, spent a couple of months overseas, you'll experience that adaptation process. You'll acclimatize. You'll you'll get used to those surroundings. And yeah, you mentioned about nutrition as well, it being so important, fueling your body. And for me, I found, you know, if I eat some really, if I eat junk food, some shitty food, it can definitely um, have an effect, you know, probably immediately on my sleep. And then, you know, if you continue on, it can definitely bring your whole your whole state down. So definitely important to, to take time for yourself, go out and into nature and to understand and what you're eating and then make changes if need be. Absolutely. I'd like to uh, delve a bit more into um, sort of the entrepreneurial mindset. And I think it's something, I'm not sure where it comes from and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Where do you believe the scarcity mindset comes from? I love this topic and I definitely have an idea I truly think that it comes from our past. You know, if you think about it from a logical standpoint, we have been our entire lives since being put on here, we've been fighting in some way, shape or form or another to survive. We've been continuously going out and fighting against conditions, weather conditions, foraging for our food, grabbing, getting animals, trying to expand, you know, especially even in even more recent times as people came, let's say to America, for instance, you know, you're consistently trying to find ways to continue to grow and to continue to expand and continue to thrive. Not only that, going back way back in history, but also thinking about where our parents, even more recent, because that has come and, you know, we've had the ebb and flow, like in the Roman periods, it was a very abundant time, but then there would be a famine or there would be a war or, you know, 
we've always had this kind of expansion, collapse, expansion, collapse. And if you're thinking about something even more recent, let's say our parents' generation, which was around World War II, or even their parents' generation, which was around the Great Depression, it's all rooted in scarcity. You know, I know for instance, my mother, when their dad was off to war, it's like they were lucky if they had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the week, you know? Um, And that's all they would eat. And so I know that for our parents, especially, it was really rooted in like safety and stability, get a good job, be safe, be secure. This is what we're working with because they didn't have that safety and security. And so, you know, unfortunately, this old story has continued to play out. And I'm sure if you ask a lot of our parents, you know, they have a ton of money in the bank and they're, you know, saving and, and that's what they were at least, you know, my family and many of the people that. I'm in connection with, that's kind of what they were taught because they came from scarcity. And so I believe that the scarcity mindset is truly rooted in our past and rooted in the generations, most specifically the last two, three, maybe even four generations since about World War I all the way up until World War II. Yeah. From my perspective, I visited my grandparents the other day and they've got about four fridges and every fridge is completely packed of food. (laughs) And yeah. there's only two of them. And yeah, so I find that fascinating. Obviously, a function of, of their growing up and their, um, their lives and, you know, what they needed to do to survive was to, you know, stockpile and, you know, make it through the famines, like you said before, you know, that, yeah. that, that expansion and, and collapse. But these days, there's a lot more growth around and, and a bit of that scarcity mindset sort of continues to follow us. In your opinion, what are the dangers for keeping a scarcity mindset? Limited self-expansion, right? If you're continuously living in scarcity, you're living in fear. And that fear is what keeps you from stepping into truly what it is you are capable of. And I feel like it's our scarcity mindset and our old story that keeps us from truly continuously expanding into our ultimate potential as individuals and as a conscious collective. How can people go from a, from a scarcity mindset to a, to a more growth mindset? It took took a long time. I remember having quite a fixed mindset and believing that my skill set was was limited to a certain capability. Do you have any advice for those listening that may have a scarcity mindset? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I think I think the first thing that anyone should ever do, and I'm actually just about to send out a newsletter on this, is invest in yourself. Even if you don't think you have the money, and you might not have the money, go invest in yourself anyways. It doesn't matter if it's in a yoga class or a gym membership if that's where you begin, or if it's in a training or a coach. I mean, I cannot tell you how much money I have spent on investing in myself and trainings and courses and mentors and teachers. And oftentimes I didn't have the money, but there's something that happens when you tell yourself, I am the creator of my reality. There's something that happens when you tell yourself, you know, like I'm worth it. And honestly, you're the safest investment you could ever make. It's safer than any stock. It's safer than any, you know, anything that you're investing outside yourself because you don't have the control over that. But you do have the control over you. And the bottom line is, is you're never going to let yourself fail. And you might stumble, you might trip, but at the end of the day, we're built for survival. So for people who are like anything, and this is scarcity or anything, any aspect of yourself, you need to look at yourself head on and say, what am I afraid of? I need to face the fear. And that's the only way I'll truly be able to move beyond it. That's so true. You know, leaning into your fears and they're probably, you know, they are scary, but if you lean into them, then you, you end up sort of developing yourself and growing. And yeah, you mentioned investing in yourself and it doesn't, doesn't have to require large amounts of money either. It could be as simple as 
going for a walk outside and having, you know, giving yourself 15 minutes, half an hour of just time to think and time to explore. Or, you know, it can be more advanced and in, in investing in yoga classes or investing in your mindset, doing courses, reading books, applying mm. what you learn from those books. You know, there's, there's a huge variety of tools and resources that you can do. And I find... Yeah, it, and we have the web, you know, like that's one of the best tools ever. Like it's free. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so, much, um, there's so much knowledge and information out there as well. I find when, when people say they don't have the money, it's just a convenient excuse not to do something. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's, you know, we live in victim mode oftentimes. And it's like, look, I have not had the money many times. And guess what? If I really wanted it bad enough, I always figured it out. I borrowed money. I got a credit card. I whatever, you know, like if you really, really want something like we just get in the way of ourselves. I feel like we're, you know, not only are we afraid of failure, but we're also afraid of success. Like what is it? And if this happens in relationships, even I think self-sabotage is real. It's like you want this relationship and then all of a sudden you get it. And it's like, oh my God, but does that mean like I won't ever have another relationship again, you know, or whatever it is, a job or whatever. It's like we consistently self-sabotage. And so I think that you're absolutely right. And yeah, hopefully, you know, people who are listening to this can begin to see that story that they're telling themselves and then choose to tell themselves a different story and at least try and see if they don't succeed. You know, you never know if you never try. That's it, exactly. And you might not be able to see where you know where you're going to be in ten years' time, but you, you might be able to see where you, you want to be in a week. And you might just take it week by week and then adapt and adjust. Better that than not doing anything at all, because at least you've got momentum going forward. You might have momentum uh-huh. going backwards, but then you know you're going backwards and you know that's not the right direction to go, so you change course. It's Yeah, the, you have to take those chances. Yeah. It's almost more important to know when to change course than it is to know when to start. Because then you can just you can just error correct along the way. And you'll learn lessons. Mm-hmm. I know I've mm-hmm. certainly had my, my share of fuck-ups today. Yeah, so absolutely. And, you know, you think you're not going to have them. You think you're better than them, but they do find you. That's where the best learning is, is founder. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned on your journey so far? Oof, really be mindful that anything that you're experiencing physically is often um, something that is actually happening on the mental, emotional, and subconscious level. And this has helped me a lot in my own connection to myself and my and my healing of my body. But yeah, listen to your body. So I've had many times where my body was starting to tell me, we were talking about this just before we got on this podcast interview, you know, the body is starting to talk to you and I don't listen to it and I overwrite it and it always puts me on my ass every single time. So that has been, you know, and also really neglecting, like neglecting my health, even though I'm a health coach and even though I'm a nutritionist and even though I've been studying and teaching yoga for the past, you know, 10 years, it's so easy to override your own intuition and your own inner knowing. I think that's been like probably one of the biggest ones. Other things, you know, small things happen. You think that this is going to be a good business idea and it doesn't end up going out well and you end up losing some money. You know, I think that's happened to everyone in one way, shape or form or another. Not fully communicating and standing for what you believe or your what you're worth and letting people take advantage of you. That's been a consistent lesson in my own world is just like really not communicating my worth effectively, you know, especially in the beginning when you're starting business. It's like, wow, you you have these tools and these knowledge, but you haven't yet maybe gotten paid for it and you know they're very valuable, but your self-worth isn't really there yet. So you're undercharging and then you end up getting, you know, people are going to take that because it's a great deal and you end up, you know, getting it handed to you at the end of the day. So those have been probably some of my, my biggest lessons and my biggest, I try not to say fuck ups because it's like, well, I learned every single time I learned Mm -hmm. and like, sometimes they hurt, 
But at the end of the day, it was like, wow, like I now will never make that mistake again. <laughs> I'm curious, how, how did you get over that self-worth aspect? Having enough self-worth in yourself to be able to charge what you're worth. I think it's a very prevalent issue across the board is believing enough in yourself, especially when you're starting out and having that almost confidence to, to set a price. How did you overcome that barrier? That's a good question. Yeah. So I started having, you know, at the beginning, I was giving my services pretty much away and people were having some good results, but they weren't really sticking to it. You know, they would start and then because it was for free or really, really cheap, their commitment level wasn't that good. And I actually had a dear friend. She called me one day and she said, she told me the story about how she was working with her business coach and her business coach said, are you in alignment with the price that you're setting? And she was like, what do you, what do you mean by that? And she said, I think like, do you really feel as though what you're charging is what you're worth? And she said, no, I feel like it's worth much more, but I live in Nicaragua and like, there's not going to be, you know, people aren't going to be able to pay what I feel that it's worth. And her business coach said, change your price because the reason why you're not getting clients right now at this low price point is because you are not in vibrational alignment with what you truly feel that this service is worth. And that's being reflected back. And so she did and she upped her prices by like, I don't even know, like seven times. And literally that day, a $5,000 package with her. So she called me and told me this story. And she said, Amanda, I'm telling you this. Yeah, wow. I was like, wow. So um, the moment that I did that, literally a week later, I got my first six-month client and it was at, you know, four figures. And so... Once that happened, and I and you get you just got to get that first client. You got to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You got to believe in yourself. You got to hold that price and listen. People are gonna come and they're gonna be like, "Oh my god, that's so expensive." And other people are gonna come and they'll be like, "Oh my god, that's nothing." And it's at the end of the day, it's not about what the industry standard is. It's not about what other people are doing. It's about what do you believe you're worth, and what are you providing them? Whether it's a service or whether it's uh, you know whatever it is, it's like what is the end result, and base your pricing on the end result, not on the time. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is our you know we base our now, especially as entrepreneurs, we base what we charge, especially in the service industry, on time. It's not about the time. It's about the transformation, at least for me, of what you're going to get in the end. And it's truly life transforming. I mean, I've had people who are on suicide. They were literally almost suicidal. And within three months, they've completely turned their their lives around. And now they're trekking on the Everest region and the Himalayas, which would have not been possible a year ago. And so, yeah, I think just really being, you know, asking yourself, what is this worth? And then moving from that authentic place and not taking less, you know, really holding yourself up to that space. And the right person will come at the right time, but you have to believe and you have to stay with it. Like, I think you phrased it perfectly before when you said there are, there'll be some people that will look at your price and go, no, that's too much for me. And then you'll have others who will look at your price and go, wow, that's a, that's a really great deal. And it's just about finding the right people for what you're providing and then providing them with more value than, than what it's costing them in delivering a result at the end of the day. So, and like you said, it just, it just begins with, with one starts with one client or the belief and holding steadfast and having one client who will pay you. And then it's just a a domino effect from there. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to look at again, like uh, a lot of what I've had to do and what I even do with my own clients now is like, where is this coming from? How were you raised? What did your parents tell you? You know, how like I lived in a very thrifty, you know, I have a thrifty mother who made good money, but she she pinched a lot of pennies in in a lot of ways, you know. And so I had this belief that like I can't spend, I can't spend, I have to save, I have to save. And so really looking at your past, looking up your upbringing and looking at 
what are my own stories about money and working with someone, whether it's a theta person or hypnosis or, or somebody just even a coach can help you do this. Really kind of find out where is this coming from and how can I relieve myself? It's really, really good advice and something that especially those in the service industry can, um, can take on board and, and apply. Amanda, where can people find more about you and what you're up to? Yeah, so I'm pretty active on social media. Facebook is one of the best ways to connect with me. Also through my website, which is Amanda, B as in boy, I-C-C-U as in uncle, M as in Mike, amandabickham.com. And then for those people who are really wanting to step more into their purpose and their passion and really create a community and a tribe, I have a just created a Patreon account. And so Patreon is really kind of like a membership-based site. So I will be giving a bunch of tools and resources and answering the community's questions on that place as well. And of course, my podcast, which is called Driven for Purpose, Reconnecting Mankind. Brilliant name for a podcast. Mm -hmm. Definitely check it out. Thank you. Thanks again, Amanda, for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and I look forward to continuing to see how you grow. For sure. Awesome. If this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, I appreciate you for stopping by. Please subscribe. Otherwise, if you took away valuable advice from this episode, I'd love for you to share it with others. Until next time.